The short story series is presented by the Studio Ensemble in Dom Theater Arts. Today's story, Little Acid Girl, is written by Alex Kingsley and read by Marlena Becker. They took my name from me in 10th grade. I was the kind of student to sit in the front of the class and not say a word, who takes detailed notes in multicolored pens, who always knows the answer to the teacher's questions but never raises her hand, just whispers it quietly in hopes the teacher will hear. That kind of student. I'd say the other students hated me for it, and maybe some did, but most just ignored me. Those who didn't were frustrated. As a quiet child, I always assumed that I was powerless. Only after years of being a silent observer of my own life did I realize quiet children are the most powerful people in the world. Everyone wants to know what's going on inside the black box of your mind, and when they don't know, it torments them. Some will try to prod me into speaking with a cutting remark or a joke at my expense, they get to feel superior for a brief moment, and I secretly feel gratification for being noticed. It's a win-win. For a second. Then they remember I'm still as much a mystery as ever, and I remember that they're not really interested in me, but the idea of me, and we both go our separate ways, feeling more empty than before. I would not know these things if I were not quiet. But that's all it was, usually jokes and insults so that they have a brief moment of smugness. No one ever cared enough about me to hate me. Not until Hannah. At first, she was just like the rest. She'd transferred from another school district, so she'd needed a bit of time to fall into her social group and understand which kids were the ones to ingratiate herself with and which were the ones to stay away from. She found her niche with the volleyball girls, boisterous, all mascara and long ponytails that whip back and forth, flirting with older male teachers. I have nothing against the volleyball girls. I have nothing against anyone, even the people who pick on me. They're just not the group for me. I made a point of watching Hannah's progress, as I did with everyone. I am a watcher. I like to know things about people. It's just what I do. Especially when you live in a small town like I did, there's some security in knowing as much as you can about everyone. To know things that no one knows you know. It is a pleasure to watch. Hannah was the first person who made a point of watching me back. You don't say much, do ya? She appeared at my locker one afternoon. This was not out of the ordinary. Plenty of new students still trying to parse out everyone's social standings would ask me about my status as the quiet girl. I didn't think it was anything special. I shrugged without looking in her direction. Why not? I didn't look up from where I was shoving books into my backpack, but I did pause for a fraction of a second. No one had ever asked me that before. I shrugged again, determined not to seem thrown off balance. That's the worst thing you can do when people start questioning you. Show them that they've surprised you. Hmm. Seemingly satisfied, she sauntered off, ponytail swinging across the 76 emblazoned on the back of her sports jersey. I watched her climb from new girl status to clan leader. 
It happens sometimes when a particularly fascinating new kid is added to the middle school environment. I saw it with Joel and the robotics kids a year ago, or Sophie in the clarinet section just last month. Hannah rose to the top of the sports girl crowd almost instantly. But unlike the others, she didn't stop after one or two attempts to get me to talk. She still made time to pay me those unpleasant visits. That class is a joke, she'd tell me as we were leaving my beloved English class. Are you gay or something? She would ask me in the gym locker room, in front of all the half-dressed girls who were much further along in their puberty journey than I was. I won't judge you if you're gay, I'm just asking. You do drugs, don't you? She whispered in my ear once when she passed me in the hallway. Like, hard drugs? Heroin? It's easy to read these conversations as an attempt at friendship, but believe me when I say I saw no kindness in her eyes. She was trying to crack my veneer. It was like her personal challenge. Again, she was not the first to take it as an insult that I wouldn't speak to her, but she was the first to try incessantly to get some kind of response. And then one day in chemistry class, something inside her broke. I suppose I should clarify. When I say I was a good student, I was not a good student in every subject. I was good at English, because I didn't spend much time with other kids my own age, so I spent my free time reading. I was good at history, because I could remember facts and dates and names of wars and documents. I was good at math, because solving equations was like solving puzzles. And I always did like solving puzzles. But I was never very good at science. Chemistry was the only class where I sat in the back. The lab was full of little cans of lethal substances, faucets that would silently spew flammable gas, and to make it worse, each lab table was fitted with its own little open flame in the form of a Bunsen burner. A chemistry lab is a room full of a thousand ways to die, and why children are crammed into it and told to experiment is beyond me. Still, no one seemed to notice that it was the only class I had an aversion to. After all, no one seemed to notice me much at all. Not until Hannah. You always sit in the front, she observed. But not in this class. Why is that? I didn't look from my book, though admittedly I was surprised that she had paid enough attention to me to notice this. As usual, I shrugged. There was no point in giving her an honest answer. Unfortunately, I didn't need to. She was intent on figuring out the truth on her own. Without warning, she grabbed a little plastic jar of hydrochloric acid from the shelf and feigned throwing it at me. I dropped my book and gave a little yelp, my hands flying up to cover my face. Hannah cackled, slamming the jar back on the shelf. You're scared, she cried, delighted she had found some emotion to pin on me. You're scared of chemicals. I turned my head sharply and picked back up my book. But she had all the information she needed. For the next few weeks, she would find new ways to torture me in the chemistry lab. Accidentally setting my lab work on fire, or spilling her beaker on my exposed hands. She made a point of always being my lab partner. It wasn't as though anyone else wanted to. Besides, the rest of the class found it funny. When the teacher was out of the room, they'd often stop their work or watch us bicker. Well, it wasn't really bickering. It was just Hannah chastising me for various things I hadn't even done wrong. The class would always giggle, like we were a television duo paired solely for their amusement. 
It was the most attention I had ever gotten, and far more than I ever wanted. I blushed so much my skin burned hotter than I thought was possible. Eventually, of course, Hannah tired of her little lab partner routine. So did the rest of the class. Until our next big lab. The substance we are working with today, the teacher announced, is called casing acid. It got its name from the way it binds when in contact with water. She poured a little bit of the fine white powder into a petri dish, and when she poured in a splash of water, the substance inside began to crackle and hiss. It transformed from what looked like a little pile of flour to a paper-thin film. The teacher used a pair of tweezers to display the sheet to the class. It looked a bit like a crystalline spiderweb. I expected it to be flimsy, but it remained rigid, like a slender piece of hard candy. Delicately, she placed the film back down and produced an orange from below the desk. She sliced it in half, discarding one half and holding the other in her left hand. With her right, she then lifted the tweezers once again and pressed the hard, silvery membrane of casing acid against the exposed flesh of the orange. The stuff isn't technically an acid, she explained, placing the orange down and lowering her safety goggles over her eyes. But we call it that because it behaves like one in the presence of heat. She produced a safety lighter and clicked it on, letting the flame flicker over the orange. What happened next was like nothing I had ever seen before. It was as though in a matter of seconds the orange ate itself. At first it sounded a bit like a fire sputtering and crackling. I figured it would be much like watching a log burn. But once the casing acid was properly heated, it consumed the orange with impossible speed. If I'd blinked, I would have missed it. But I was too transfixed to turn my eyes away for even a moment. All that was left was smoke and a foul-smelling pile of casing acid powder, now tinted an orangey brown. The whole demonstration made my stomach turn. I cannot emphasize enough how much I hate chemistry. I hoped in vain that this was only a demonstration, but no, the teacher expected us to perform our own experiments with the horrid stuff. It came as no surprise that Hannah was eager to be my lab partner once again. The grin on her face told me that she'd seen me recoil from the demonstration, and she knew that today's lab would be a brand new way for her to torment me. Oh, shoot, the teacher muttered at the front of the classroom where she was doling out supplies. I didn't grab enough goggles. I got a pop over to the storage closet. No one, she gave the class a stern look, start the lab before I get back. As usual, the teacher's warnings were ignored. As soon as she was out of sight, students opened the little plastic canisters they'd been given, exploring dangerous chemicals with the same lack of concern that a baby might explore a minefield. Hannah was already pouring the powder into our own Petri dish. Looks like crack, she grinned, poking it with her finger. We're not supposed to begin yet, I murmured. Her grin widened the way it always did when she managed to manipulate a few words out of me. We're not, she asked innocently, still stirring the white powder with her finger. I didn't hear. Without warning, she flicked some of the casing acid in my direction. I shrieked and jumped back. As often as she threatened to pour dangerous chemicals on me, I never got used to it. This time, though, some of the white powder really did land on my arm. 
I rubbed it vigorously, hoping to remove all traces of the stuff. I was so busy frantically rubbing at my arm that I didn't notice Hannah's grin turned into a broad smile. Nor did I see her unscrew the top of the plastic canister again, gripping it tightly in her right hand. Oops, she shouted, her voice dripping with sarcasm. Had I looked up from where I was furiously scratching at my arm, I would have seen the rest of the class watching us wide-eyed, smiling, and a little afraid. This was the first time Hannah had put me in any real danger, and a little gasp rippled through the class when they realized that I was wiping the stuff off of myself. I can be so clumsy, Hannah said, waiting for me to turn to face her. I fell for the bait, meeting her eyes again to quietly ask her not to play with the chemicals. Before I could speak, she threw the whole canister on me. This time, I was too stunned to scream. My legs were coated in the powder, gripping to me like white pollen. I'm not sure who it was who handed Hannah the next canister. I'm sure some students were appropriately horrified, but others began to laugh. I can only assume it was one of the students that found the whole show entertaining that gave Hannah their canister of casing powder. The next puff of white powder hit me on my arm, and some of it even landed on my neck and on my face. That was when I finally found it in myself to respond. Stop, I begged. Stop it! But this was what they wanted, to make the quiet girl loud. I'm not sure how many canisters of casing acid were poured on me before Hannah turned on one of the faucets that lined the walls of the room. She started tossing the water on me, giggling all the while, as though we were only playing Marco Polo at the public pool. Other sinks around the room turned on. Athletes poured out their water bottles. I didn't know where all the water came from, but I know that it came because the acid hardened. When I was a child, I would sometimes allow glue to dry on my hand so I could draw on it with magic marker and make myself a little tattoo. As the glue dried, it would contract, pinching my skin together. It was just like that, but on my whole body, up to my neck. But it was stronger than glue. When I tried to move, it wouldn't allow it. I expected at least one student to come to my aid. But no. They either stood laughing or watched. Were they secretly entertained? Or did they think that they'd meet the same fate if they stood up for me? Once I was frozen in my spider-webbed silver case, I thought Hannah had had her fun. But this was the most attention she'd ever received for the two of us. Her taunts earlier in the semester were a precursor. But this? This was her magnum opus of cruelty. This was the piece de resistance. She lit a Bunsen burner and brought it towards me. Under the silver casing, I began to sweat. I couldn't tell if the heat came from the nearing flame or my own body, but inside that suit of hardened powder, it became unbearably hot. I didn't know if I was only imagining it, but I felt pinpricks of pain all over my body, and I wondered if the acid was already beginning to eat away at me the way it had the orange. I'd always known Hannah hated me, but did she hate me enough to kill me? As the flickering flame approached, I realized I would soon find out if I did nothing. But what could I do? I was trapped in layers of casing acid, unable to move. I had no choice. 
I screamed. It was not like a scream you hear in a film, the scream the beautiful woman in the horror movie makes when she sees the monster. It was a horrible, guttural sound that wrenched itself from my throat unbidden. I sounded like a cornered animal, which I suppose I was. Only then did the teacher reappear. The little sores appeared the next day, places I hadn't even noticed the acid beginning to bite into me. A few on my knuckles, my knees, my neck. I looked like I'd been attacked by a swarm of angry but uncoordinated hornets who left big, splotchy marks instead of neat little bites. It made me easy to recognize. Oh my God, my cashier at the grocery store had said. You're the girl from the high school? She said the high school because there was only one in town, and the girl because there was only one girl everyone was talking about. I nodded meekly and continued putting my groceries on the counter. Well, my family's groceries. I was shopping for all of us. I am so sorry about what those kids did to you. She shook her head and put her hand over her heart, as if just seeing me pained her. While I felt that usual rush of being acknowledged, it was tinged with the fact that she was really noticing my scars. Not me, but the fact that I was a victim. Just a sec, let me get my manager. She turned around and shouted, Ted! Hey, Ted! A hairy jelly bean of a man bounced over to the counter. There a problem, Sue? He asked amiably. Sue gestured to me. It's the little acid girl. I could feel my face turning bright red. That's not my name, I wanted to say. But I didn't. Well, I'll be. He took my hand in his warm, pudgy fingers and looked me in the eyes. I cannot express my deepest apologies for what happened to you at that school, he said. Tell you what, round this store, you get your groceries for free. Really? I managed to murmur. It was the first word I'd said during the whole exchange. Of course, we as a community gotta be better at taking care of our kids, don't you think? Before I could come up with a response, he said, Little acid girl, we're gonna treat you right. As is the way in small towns, news of my newfound fame spread fast. Wanting to jump on the bandwagon, other businesses started making me offers. The beauty salon offered to give me a makeover to hide the scars. The bookstore told me they heard I was a fan of reading and gave me a gift certificate and a tote bag. The ice cream parlor said I could get a free cone for me and a friend whenever I wanted. I wondered if they knew the cruel irony of the and a friend part. Things were different at school, too. Some students made a big show of being nice to me, saying, hey, come sit with me, or why don't I pay for your lunch today? The problem is, it was more for them than for me. They wanted to see themselves as the hero of my story, but they were the heroes of their own, not mine. My story didn't have a hero, not even me. Other students resented me even more than they used to, at first, they were just frustrated they couldn't get inside my head. Now, I was as unreadable as ever, but also a local celebrity without even trying to be one. It was no wonder that roused some jealousy. I should have known a reckoning was coming. I was too overwhelmed to read the signs. Hannah was suspended for two weeks, as there was no question that she was the main culprit. 
The rest of her volleyball cronies eyed me with feline ferocity in the cafeteria, but I was getting so much unwanted attention that I hardly noticed. It barely even registered with me when Hannah returned to school. Properly chastened by the school's slap on the wrist, she made no more attempts to speak to me. It felt like a small victory. While I still squirmed under the eyes of the rest of the school, at least my usual tormentor was no longer watching me. But the school didn't take her out of my chemistry class. Looking back, I was foolish to think I had won. I didn't have the same mentality as an athlete. I hadn't won at all. The ref had simply given Hannah a red card, and she was waiting out her penalty until she could play another match. I didn't know there would be another match. Not until one chemistry lab months later, when the teacher forgot to grab enough Erlenmeyer flasks for the class and had to make another trip to the storage closet. This time, Hannah said nothing. She simply stood over me, again holding a little plastic canister of casing acid. Perhaps if I'd known we were still at war, I would have run. I would have called for the teacher, or at the very least done something to protect myself. But I assumed Hannah was long done toying with me, so I simply said, We're not using that for today's lab. Unsmiling, Hannah countered, Oh, I know. My parents pulled me out of school. We moved to a big city where it was easier to be anonymous. Now the kids at school don't ask me why I'm so quiet, which I suppose is nice, but I think it's because they believe they already know the answer. When they think they have me all figured out, I'm not as much of a mystery. The more brazen ones still ask me questions sometimes, though. But they don't ask, you don't talk much, do ya? They ask, what happened to your eyes? I'm not a people watcher anymore. I'm not little acid girl anymore either. I'm little blind girl. The truth is, I don't really care that Hannah took my old life from me. I only care that she took my identity. And with it, she took my name. Thank you for listening to Little Acid Girl by Alex Kingsley. Please join us next time for another in our short story series. Thank you.